for all those who feel called to build something bigger than themselves, but have no idea or representation as to how to bring it to pass. This podcast is for you. Let's figure it out together. Get ready. Let's build. Four, three, two, one. Everything that you've been through up until this point has helped you create your why. And when you have a strong why, nothing will stop you. Oh my goodness, it's that time again. Welcome to Building Without a Blueprint. I am your host, Princeton Parker. Man, every episode, every time I hear it, that theme song just gets me hyped. It gets me in the right place. I just be like, building. Uh, I hope that literally at some point after enough of listening to these episodes, you'll just be in your car randomly and you'll just be thinking about something and out of nowhere, you'll just be like, building. Or like you'll wake up in the morning, be getting ready for your day in the shower, just like, building. You'll be all at work, people getting on your nerves. You just come out like, building. Anyway, I could do that for days. <laughs> so excited. Like, I love that song. I hope it puts you in the frame of mind to be encouraged and to be optimistic and energized about your day and your experience and whatever it is that you have to face. That leads me to where I want to start off today. I want to thank the incredible people who helped me put that intro together. And that's something that I didn't do in the very first episode. As I talked about the importance of music to me, one of the things that I get to do as I have time um, is produce music and, and still writing music for myself and for others. And um, one of the things that I was able to do was to produce pretty much that entire theme song, but of course not by myself. So all the instruments that you hear on that, except drums and vocals are, are me. Um, and after that, I've had to enlist the help of some really, really, really amazing people. So I had this concept and had written this theme song about six or seven months ago. And so I had gotten to work on it. And finally, uh, first of all, took it to a friend of mine uh, named Brandon Combs, who is the producer responsible for that. Um, after I had recorded everything, he laid drums down on it and then mixed and mastered it for me. So I want to shout out, first of all, Brandon Combs. He works with a production company called Trap Noir. You can follow them on Instagram at Trap Noir, T-R-A-P-N-O-I-R. They are phenomenal and they are producing some of the hottest artists um, that are up and coming in the game right now. They are phenomenal at their craft and some really great people to work with. Brandon was one of those folks who I met at USC, just an incredible drummer, musician, and an incredible artist. So uh, B, thank you for your help on that, man. Check out Trap Noir. You can also follow Brandon, who is the one of the producers and the drummer for that company. And he is on Instagram at B underscore combs c-o-m-b-z so if you need anything production or drums check them out on vocals was uh, my sis sean Kristen. sean uh, serves on the worship team that i lead at the crusade christian faith center uh, it is an honor to work with that amazing group of people every single week at church and so she is a phenomenal vocalist and she's done all kinds of work and we're working on some stuff for her as well so thank you so much, Sean, who's on vocals on that. And then who just came in and blazed and killed uh, is my big brother, Marcus Paul, who is just a phenomenal gift. So Marcus uh, wrote the parts on that and recorded them. So everything horns that you hear on that is all Marcus. And I could name drop so many people who you would absolutely recognize who he's either worked with or is working with right now. But what I love about Marcus is just the skill of his craft speaks for itself. So you can follow Marcus at Marcus Paul Music on Twitter, or you can follow him at Marcus Paul 1000 on Instagram. So if you have any needs for horns, for string arrangements, whether it's writing, arranging, or recording, hit up Marcus Paul. So thank you to the three of you all for helping make that cool. So I hope y'all enjoy that. Here we go. Episode two. So I spoke a lot about the ways in which no matter what I go on to do, like I'm a preacher at my core. So uh, one of the things that's so funny is that even when I don't want to <laughs> be known as a preacher, be considered to be a preacher, like it just comes out. I'll give you a great example. Like I'll be in meetings and I'll be trying to like 
make my point and like trying to sound very like intelligent and try to sound very, you know, business professional, whatever, whatever. And people would be like, amen. And I'd be like, shut up. <laughs> like it just, it comes out like it is truly in me. And so to have a podcast and, and not share some of the work that's been done from a preaching perspective would kind of be to leave out who I am fundamentally before all of this. I'm a preacher first. So that's how this whole podcast uh, came to be as I was talking about last episode. It started as a sermon. It was a sermon that I preached at Newmount Calvary Baptist Church, pastored by Sanja Dawson. Shout out to all of them. I spoke in the last episode about my auntie Sharon, uh, who was on the phone with my mom when I was a little tiny tot preaching. She is a member and reverend at that church. And so it's always cool going back home to share the word of God with them. So Whenever I preach, those messages come out of personal experience nine times out of 10 or conversations that I've had or things that I'm wrestling with. And there was this meme that said uh, there was a singer who posted this meme that said, my songs will tell you more about my life than I ever will. And I just thought that was dope. I was like, okay, so true. Yes, that's a word. And that's how I feel sometimes about preaching, right? Is if you listen to enough of my sermon string together, you will literally hear like my heart and my journey and what I'm wrestling with. And I will often wrestle with something in private with God. And out of that wrestling will come some sort of word of inspiration for God. How does this speak to people and to the community that I'm in about what they might be wrestling with too? And at this particular point in my life, that's when this whole notion of being able to package the struggle under the words building without a blueprint came to be. So you're going to hear part one of that sermon today. Now, before I take you into it, I think it's important to set up the fact that the only thing I wish about this is that you could see it live, because this is one of a few illustrated sermons that I've done where I literally want to figure out, you know, how do we tell a story with this? How do you make the gospel or whatever you're trying to communicate come alive? So I want to talk to you about what's happening um, there with me visually in the pulpit so that as you're hearing it, you'll hear me say like that a lot and you can kind of know what I'm referring to. So I preached this entire message holding two Rubik's Cubes in my hand. And I'll set up the whole way that Rubik's Cubes are important to me in my life in the sermon. Um, in my left hand, I held up one that seemed to be complete, um, one that seemed to be aligned or one that seemed to be put together might be the best language for that. And in my right hand, I held up a Rubik's cube that was in progress. And we've all seen both, right? We've all seen this idea of this like perfect, completely solved, put together Rubik's cube. And we've all seen the imagery of oftentimes what it's like in our hands, which is not that. <laughs> what we get in our hands is oftentimes the in progress one where all the sides are different, where all those colors are working together to figure out how do we get to that place of looking and being put together, right? And that's what life is for us a lot. We go scroll down social media, right? And all the way down Instagram are these images of put together Rubik's Cubes. Like if you're looking at other people's career journey and other people's relationships and other people's, you know, ideas of themselves, right? It seems like people, you know, love themselves so much better or, or whatever that might look like. Sometimes the put together Rubik's Cube is wholeness. And it seems like people are are kinder to themselves. Like they just have a, a better outlook on their own life than we do. Maybe that put together Rubik's Cube looks like a career path, right? Like these people who have identified what they want to do and are so much closer on it. And it just seems like every step they take is perfectly aligned with their career path. You're like, how do you I remember looking at, at people who were like making moves? And, and you know what's funny is you can watch somebody and they like post pictures of all the people that they've met in the last three months, like on their career path. You're like, yo, how have you met, you know, President Obama and the Dalai Lama and Drake. I, I don't know. <laughs> You're just like, how do you do that? We see these images of put together Rubik's Cubes. And what's interesting is most of the commentary that we hear from people who are giving us advice on life comes from that perspective. And it could feel really disjointing and really discouraging when you know that what you're hearing, whether it be over the pulpit or on social media or in your classroom or on your job, is all this advice from the perspective of a put together Rubik's Cube. But then you look at your life and you see an in-progress one. And the distance between the two is very frustrating. And it seems like oftentimes you either don't see true examples from your context of that put together Rubik's Cube. Like, hey, I need to see somebody who's been through what I've been through look like that. Or the people who do, who might be around you, can't seem to tell you how you get yours to look like that. 
And even the process of defining what that put together Rubik's Cube looks like for you. What does wholeness look like? What does the dream look like? What does ministry look like? What does your calling look like? Even that is difficult. And that, my friends, is true building without a blueprint. And that's what we talk about. I'm going to take you into this message today that is centered on a gentleman by the name of Amos in the Bible, who is a prophet. You'll hear more about him in the sermon. And what's crazy about Amos is related to him because he said, look, I was chilling. (laughs) I was herding cattle. That was my profession. And all of a sudden God hit me up and said, hey, go prophesy. And Amos was like, "Um, look, God, Broseph, listen, uh, I've never been a prophet. I didn't grow up reading Prophets Digest. There's nobody in my family who's a prophet. There's nobody around me who I can look to for that. And I'm already kind of like on into my life and my career. So you picked a fine and dandy time to give me a calling. And God says, go. And the Bible says like the very next verse, Amos is like, and, and I prophesy. And it wasn't just that Amos was supposed to prophesy. It was the message that God was calling him to give. This wasn't a happy-go-lucky prophecy. God was upset with his own people that they know what it's like to be oppressed. But by the time Amos is living, they have become the oppressors. And they've done it in the name of religion. They've treated the poor badly. They have forgotten what it was like to be kind to the poor, the orphan, and the widow. They have forsaken God's number one law, which was the same kindness that has been given to you. You now go and extend that to the world on my behalf. And they've done it in the name of God. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Maybe we need an Amos today who calls people of faith to really understand that, look, like you don't have faith to make your life perfect. You have faith so that the same grace that has been extended to you, the same power, the same resources, the same privilege that has been extended to you might be used to other people. Amos is a great reference for understanding how God is not cool when his people don't pay attention to matters of justice and matters of care and matters of love for people. Amos is also a dope book because it is where Dr. King pulls from when he gives his I Have a Dream speech, right? He's pulling from Amos chapter five around like verse 23 or 24, something like that. When he says, and let justice roll down like waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. He's pulling from Amos, who's doing that same thing that Dr. King is doing. Amos is doing that to his people saying, hey, God wants you to realize how ungodly this is that you're not treating people right and fulfilling what God has called you to do. And so Dr. King does that because he was a preacher first, right? Before we sanitize his image and make him a motivational speaker, Dr. King was a preacher whose theology was the foundation of his passion for social justice. Now y'all, Amos has to do that and he's had no blueprint for it. I identified a lot with him and that's where this sermon comes. So, hey, it's going to give you a couple, two, three insights on hopefully a starting point of how to make sense of what it feels like when you're building without a blueprint. We'll spend the rest of this whole podcast trying to figure out where we go after that. And Father, we give you the praise because you are worthy. And the fact that the whole earth is full of your glory is a reminder that praise is not some kind of favor that we do for you. Praise is not a means by which we arouse you to do something for us. Praise and worship is what you deserve. And when we fully understand and get a good glimpse of who you are, when we fully understand just how big you are and and how time doesn't even exist for you and how you are so powerful and so holy and so separated and so majestic and so intelligent, when we really get that in our minds, the only proper response is worship. So God, we've assembled here for that purpose, Father. We thank you that Because we know who you are, even if nothing else comes of this service, it will be a great service because we got to come together with other like-minded people for two hours and give you praise that you deserve. And that's a good service, God. And here we are at this moment understanding that we all come with needs to church. We all come with challenges and we all come to give you glory and then hopefully to find an answer somewhere in your presence. So I pray that the words that are spoken in this moment might give strength, encouragement, direction, and that they might be a reminder to us that you are still with us. So Satan, we come against you and every plan that you have against me, against the service, against God's people is canceled because of the blood of Jesus. And I thank you that the will of the Lord will be done. So now God, let your anointing fall on me in this moment and we give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I'm glad I serve a worthy God. Listen, I, 
I don't praise him because somebody told me. I don't praise him because it's the churchy thing to do. I praise him because I know my own life and I know just how much he's done for me. Uh, the older saints I hang around with say he's done so much for me that I just can't tell it all. And it is an honor to be in the house of God to be able to worship him because he's worthy. Anybody know he's worthy this morning? God is so incredibly worthy and we bless him. I'm going to go to two scriptures this morning, the book of Amos chapter 7. The first half of my message is going to be about how to find the book of Amos. <laughs> oh, Sunday school. Okay, see y'all was already getting ready for me and y'all didn't even know. Y'all better know where Amos is. We're going to look at the book of Amos chapter 7. And then we're going to look at Psalm 23. Look at verse 1 and, and verse 4. Listen, y'all, I'm so excited to be here this morning. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, it is truly an honor. I don't stand when they ask for visitors or returning visitors. This is a homecoming for me. I just came to chill with family, and I see so many familiar faces who, uh, like Auntie Reverend uh, Gray, have seen me since. Uh, that's always funny when people say stuff like, I still don't know how to respond to that. People be like, boy, I haven't seen you since you was, yeah. I think the, fun, the, funniest, the, funniest thing, the funniest time someone's ever done that to me, they were like, they were like oh, preacher, I haven't known you since you was yay high, and you ain't got much taller since then. <laughs> it's like, God bless you, yes. I love you as well, God bless you. It's always funny, because when people do that and they've known you for so long, you can never turn up to anybody like that. That's one of the, one of the side effects of being in like, servant ministry, is that you can never be like... Don't try to play me. <laughs> like, you can't say stuff like that. You just got, God bless you. Thank you so much. So I, I see a room full of folks who have known me since then, and, and I truly would not be who I am today without the investment of New Mount Calvary. So before I go to the Word, I want y'all to know I love y'all so much, and uh, I consider it an honor to come back and share the Word of God. Uh, God bless you, too. Can we celebrate this phenomenal pastor, Pastor Sandra Dawson? Bless you, woman of God. who I love and am so honored to watch her continue to change the tide of ministry and of what that looks like in the 21st century. I honor God for my auntie, Reverend Sharon Gray. Thank you for that introduction. Can we bless God for Brother Gary and uh, Minister William Johnson who are responsible for me hanging out with y'all today. God bless y'all. Thank you so much for this invitation. Uh, thank God for First Lady Emeritus Dawson, who we love and celebrate who is a jewel and a treasure, God bless you. To all of you all who I would get in trouble if I began name calling, my family's here. Dr. Simone Star Parker, Preston Parker, God bless y'all, love you. I've got Sister Corinne here with me, I'm so honored to have her. Thank you so much for being here, and I'm excited to get into the word of God. Amos, the seventh chapter. Let's look at verse 14. Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, look, I wasn't no prophet, and I wasn't no prophet's son. In fact, I was a herd man. I messed with sheep and things in the field. And a gatherer of sycamore fruit, I made sure sycamore's tree grew. That was the extent to which I did. Verse 15. And here come the Lord messing things up. I mean, the Bible says, and the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, go prophesy unto my people Israel. And I just want to read the first few words of verse 16. <laughs> now, therefore, hear thou the word of the Lord. Let's look at Psalm 23, verse 1. Psalm of David, and David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Somebody say no evil. For thou art with me, and thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Um, as you're taking your seats this morning, can you repeat my subject after me? Just say, I'm building, I'm building. without a blueprint. Without. Say it one more time. Somebody said to me, say, I'm building, I'm building. Without, without a blueprint. Before we go on in the word, can we celebrate God for this incredible youth department, man? The young adults are showing out. Can y'all do better for my people? Can y'all? 
Can y'all show them some love? They have ministered all service long and blessed us. God bless you all and thank y'all so much for letting me speak to you today. So, you know, you see me doing this whole preacher thing and sometimes we have a habit of like looking at people who do one thing well and we just think that they can do everything well because they do that one thing well, you know? I don't know why we do that. Like we think that because somebody's a good rapper that they automatically should be like a cultural theorist or somebody who should be able to like tell us about. And then you let somebody like Lil Wayne talk about Black Lives Matter. You're like, oh, you just rap good. You don't, we can't rely on you to, to think too. Um, no shade, no shade. That was not shade. That was, I'm just saying. So, you know, I've been doing this preacher thing a, a long time, but I'm really bad at math and science. Like, I'm just really, like, I'm really bad at things that require that level of, like, constructive analytical thinking. Like, I, I could be deep as long as there's, like, no real numbers or, like, like I could be deep. I can make up stuff. Like, I can take words and philosophy and, you know, do all that kind of stuff. But when you, and so it's always been a big deal for me anytime I got to do anything, like, close to making me feel like I was semi-good in math and sciences. And see, um, I like to hang around creative people because I feel at home. But there are some of you in here that I'll be around y'all and I'll be like, oh, you know, what are you majoring in? Oh, I'm majoring in biomedical engineering. I'd be like, get out. <laughs> you and that demon stuff you study, <laughs> get out. Um, I've just never, never been into it. And so because I was never into it, I used to celebrate things that uh, was not a big deal. I'll give you a great example. So um, don't judge me as I open up myself to y'all, by the way, because I already feel some of y'all like, oh my goodness, he has a hard time. Like, it's just two plus two. Don't judge me. This is what I did. This is what I did. I was in high school. Oh, man, this is embarrassing. It is what it is. I was in high school <laughs> when I changed the light bulb for the first time. Now, see y'all, I see y'all's faces already. See y'all already, I'm gonna go back and sit down. That was a big deal for me. I like saw it that, and my dad still to this day, he walks into my room and he's like, why can't you tell it's dim in here? Just like, I don't know. So I remember the first time I did it. Now this was early high school. I wasn't a senior, just so I can like kind of clarify. I was just out of middle school, so there weren't that many expectations. I changed the light bulb and I was so excited about that that I did this little, this little trigger on my family. I called them and I told them I had just became a man. <laughs> and so I was calling like my grandma I was like, Granny, I gotta tell you, like, you know, um, I just became a man. And just to hear people's reactions to that was hilarious. They was like, you did what? <laughs> you excuse me? Uh-uh, holiness is still right. I just, I love to mess with people. And then I would tell them like, like, no, this, you know, keep your mind above water. I changed the light bulb. Cause that was math and science. That was huge for me. Um, calculus used to mess me up. Like I just never understood. I was like, you know, what are letters and numbers at the same time? Like God called two things that were separate to be separate. We are not doing the work of God by causing two different things to try to work together. See, these things, letters and numbers are unequally yoked and I'm just trying to stay saved and make sure that numbers yoke with numbers and letters work with letters. I can do that. I was so bad, I was so bad at calculus. I wouldn't ever really do my homework. I would just, have you ever just written out the problems on a page and written a whole bunch of other stuff, three lines below it, so it would look like you tried to solve the problem? I got about four and a half people that really want to be honest. I know you got straight A's and everything. I didn't. Um, I was really bad at it. But so sometimes I like to put that behind me. I like to put my struggle with math and science behind me. And then it continues to work its way into my life. And the most recent embarrassing moment, I work at Disney. I have the opportunity to be a manager there and I'm at the parks. And a part of being a manager is that you have to train on all the positions that you are a manager of. So you can't lead it if you haven't trained on it. Now working a ride is easy. You press a button, you make sure everybody's safe, make sure everybody's loaded in. I'm an expert at all those spiels you all hear at Disneyland. Come on folks, right this way, stay to your right folks, stay to your right folks, I'm expert at that. That part was easy. Then, they just reopened the Rivers of America, which sit in the center of Disneyland. Just reopened. You ought to go back and check it out. We'd love to have you. Um, they just reopened the Rivers of America. Selfless plug for Disneyland. Value tickets are coming back. We'd love to see you. And I had to train, y'all, on the rafts. I had to train on the rafts. Now listen, rafts are interesting because the rafts are not on a track. They're not on a machine. You don't press a button to make the rafts go. You got to drive that mug by yourself. So, um... I may or may not have crashed 61 people into the dock 
during my training. I may or may not have because, um, now what was interesting was that was during my exam. <laughs> the training was cool, but when the cast member came out to evaluate me, it was a, a, a bumpy situation. And I was reminded that math and science has never really been my thing, but there's one thing around that really brings this struggle to light for me. I kind of have a problem every time I see this device because it reminds me of just how not smart I am. Some of you might be familiar with the device I'm holding. And see, some of y'all just shook. Oh, Lord. Oh, God. I don't want to touch it. No, no, I'm not ready. No. Um, some of you all had the same reaction I did. Now, for those of you who might have been under a rock for the past 89 years, this is called a Rubik's Cube. Now, this device has been known to make people feel bad about themselves for the past century. Um, I don't like it. I don't like it because it comes looking all put together like it's just so easy. And the object is to make sure that when it's in your hands, you return everything so that every side is all the same color. Um, now, now, this always was a struggle for me because it reminds me that math and science is not my thing. Now, let me tell you the real issue I have with the Rubik's Cube. It's not that it's scientific and it's not that it's hard. It is not that uh, it involves the brain. It is not that it involves an area that I struggle with. That's not my issue with it. My issue with it is that when you buy this Rubik's Cube from Target, like I did last night, it does not come Y'all better help me preach this morning. It does not come with instructions. Now, that, that's what frustrates me because if I had something to guide me, I feel like preaching already. If I had something to explain this to me, if, if, if I had something to let me know how to get it to all these sides, um, if I had something that told me the steps, if, if I had something that let me know that I was not alone in trying to solve this, uh, then I would be a little more open to having the experience. And then they have enough nerve to not just give me no instructions, but they have enough nerve to insult me by the packaging on the side. Thank you. What, 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 what does that mean? What does that mean that they insult you? What does that mean that they insult you? Um, I looked at the side of it. Let me, let me find where it is. Let me find where it is. I looked at the side of it. There it is. There it is. And it says ages eight plus. You gotta be kidding me. It ought to say ages Harvard plus. So not only do you not give me instructions, but then you say that everyone should be able to do this. So what's interesting is, I buy it like this, but most of our experiences with the Rubik's Cube was that it was given to us like this. So I know that this is the objective, but this is what's in my hand. And you don't know frustration until you know that this is the goal, but your life looks like this. And I'm trapped in the middle with no instructions on how to get this to look like. And isn't it funny how God has a way of giving you a promise that looks like this. But a life that looks like. Isn't it, isn't it quite weird how God gets this very unsettling kind of satisfaction from giving you an anointing that looks like this, but then giving you a limp that looks like this. It, it's weird for me. It's weird for me how comfortable God is giving me a Bible that looks like this, but giving me a flesh that looks like this. I, I have a hard time. I have a hard time because the people I follow on Instagram look like this, but, but my life looks like this. I, I have a hard time because you USC looks like this, but my study habits look like this. I have a hard time because I know marriage is supposed to look like this, but my boo and me look like this. I, I know that a job looks like this, but my work looks like this. I, I know that graduating looks like this, but my study habits look like this. I, I know that wholeness is supposed to look like this, but my addiction looks like this, and I'm stuck on how to build this with no blueprint.
I just want to talk to young people who, like me, are frustrated. Thank you, Pastor. She said I'm talking to everybody. Who are frustrated because what God is asking you to do looks so collected and calm and whole and um, beautiful. But what he gave you to turn into that looks, it looks jumbled. And um, I know it's supposed to be all orange. Um, okay, so, okay, two orange. Um, okay, three orange, but it doesn't, it doesn't lie. And, and if we're honest, this is what most of our lives look like. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm just out here. I'm not thinking about the future. I'm just kind of out here. Spending money, getting drunk, having sex. I just, I'm just out here. Like, I, I know it's supposed to be all the same color, but dude, if you, if you had the situation I had, don't try to come for me. And then this is why people get mad at the church because we want to fuss at them about why their life doesn't look like this without acknowledging how you deal with this. Like, do you, do you think... Watch this. I'm gonna I'm gonna help you as you as you witness. I just learned this a couple years ago. I preached my entire life and didn't know this. Don't try to address somebody's sin until you address their pain. Don't 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 tell me to stop drinking and you don't know why I'm drinking. Don't tell me to stop having sex until you help me figure out who I am outside the sex. Don't argue with me about my sexuality and you don't know my story. Because I, I have no interest in your religion if you can't help me do this. So here we are in between God's pattern. Now, whenever somebody ever tells you, you know, this is the way God does it, they're lying. <laughs> Because God cannot be subjected to understanding by way of one thought pattern or framework. God is so majestic and he's so big that God can move in even the things that don't fit our church understanding of how he moves. So anytime God, somebody tells you that this is the way that God works, they're lying. What we do have, though, through the scriptures are patterns that help us understand the character and nature of God. So that sometimes we can identify patterns, but we'll never be able to fully understand who God is and how he works, because if we did, that'd make us God. So here we are in one of the patterns of God. One pattern of God is that he would call somebody and give them a list of instructions. Like they were specific, they were hard hitting, they came with a deadline, he told you where to get them. Like I love the kind of stuff where Jesus said, Jesus says, he says, look, as you're going into the city, I want you to stop a couple miles outside the city, look to your right, it's gonna be a post, and it's gonna be a cult that's never, that's never been used before, it's gonna be tied up, it's gonna look like this, have this height, and then I want you to go tell the person you're gonna see right after that um, that the master has need of this, and then just go get him and bring him. So God has a pattern of being very specific. I like that. That's cool. So now the only danger then after that is, am I willing to obey? But then another pattern of God is giving a very distinct direction or call, but no clarification on how. And most of us are in that space where we're living life, trying to build a business, a marriage, a degree, a relationship with God with no blueprint. And what's crazy is either some of us have never seen something that looks like this in real life. We've only seen this our whole life. This is our reality. This is all we've seen. This is all my parents have done. This is the neighborhood I live in. This is the way my culture is set up. This is the TV I watch. Everything looks like this. <laughs> Everything in my life is ratchet. <laughs> there are quite a few of us, if we're honest, that like the reason why we like love and hip hop is not because it's television, but because our lives genuinely look like that. And because the reputation of reality TV, we don't want to admit that. But the truth is, like, we like it because we identify with it. So either I've never seen something like this or I've seen this, 
But nobody can tell me how they got to this. Have you been in a place where you like, it's like, okay, like I've had this, like I've had people who owned a business, followed God, been married a long time, whatever, whatever. But nobody can tell me how they got here. These people frustrate me. They're the people who take this and they go, yeah, man, you just do this. And if you turn it twice and then, yeah, because that's it. And then, yeah. And then like three strokes later, they're there. It's like, that doesn't help me. As a matter of fact, it makes me feel more alienated because I don't get it that quickly. And this is what life is like building without a blueprint. Everybody close your eyes for a minute. Everybody close your eyes. Nothing spooky. I just want to let you know you're not alone. Close your eyes. Hands up if you have ever had to do something in your life that you were the first person in your family to do. Hands up. First person to graduate. First person to stay married. First person to get a doctor degree. First person to whatever. Hands up if you had to do something by yourself that you didn't have any real blueprint on doing. Now keep your hands up and open your eyes and look around you. There's something unique about the Christian experience and the human experience that puts all of us young and old in the position to have to do something that ain't nobody around us ever did before. And it's unfair because we look at other people who have resources and connections and we go, well, why wouldn't God hook me up with that if he wanted me to do it? And it's frustrating because sometimes those of us, especially those of us who are high achievers, we feel like we should be able to get it. Why, why is college a struggle for me if I did well in middle school and high school? <laughs> why, why is this relationship hard for me? Like I've never had a problem with a dude or another adult or anything like that before. So why is this like, why now? But most of all, it's discouraging because then we start to ask the question, what's wrong with me that my life looks like this? So then what happens when we're in that position is we do one of two things. We convince ourselves either that it's not worth it and we settle for this. And we say stuff like, well, I guess God just want me to find the beauty in the messed up Rubik's Cube then. Because <laughs> at least it's got a lot of colors and nobody's perfect. And it's amazing how we'll use perfection as a defense that we shouldn't be whole. Like, like, like I, I get it that nobody's perfect. I get it that nobody's relationship is solid, but that's not an excuse for staying in a position that abuses you. So we convince ourselves it's not worth it. And so many of us just say, look, I ain't got time to deal with that. That's what most of my generation has done with the church. In the face of being irrelevant, in the face of being sometimes pessimistic and unwilling to listen to experiences and to adjust not the message of the cross, but to adjust the ways in which that message is understood in our current societal context, most of my folks in my generation are just like, it's not worth it. The other thing that we do is we convince ourselves that it might be worth it, but it's impossible. That's for those people. That's for people who's always had it, who've always had it together. And so we convince ourselves that it might be worth it, but it's impossible for someone like me. And I'm coming to tell you that just like you understood it in that moment with your fellow brothers and sisters here in church, I want to let you know that you're not alone. God told Noah to build an ark, but he did not have an engineering degree. God told Abraham, I want you to go out of the land of your family into the land that I will show you. But Abraham didn't have any landowners in his family. God told Moses, I want you to go back to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. But Moses had never seen a leader who was biracial and maybe not biracial, but he was bi experiential. He was one race, but he was raised as an Egyptian. And so Moses has the unique, oh God, help me. Moses has the unique position of having, being able to identify with both the oppressed and the oppressor. So he has to realize that at some point in my life, I'm going to be hated by both. Because I'm not black enough for the black kids and not white enough for the white kids. And he's never seen anybody who had to lead under that burden. God calls David and says, I want you to be the king. I want you to be the king after Saul who will restore my heart for the kingdom, who will restore my heart in Israel. Um, but David has never been to leadership school. David has never had any battle experience. He's never had any government experience. And he's never had any leadership experience outside of tending sheep. But God says, you're about to be king. Josiah had never seen anyone be king at a young age. He was eight years old and has to have the responsibility of somebody who should be 40. And there isn't a young king's kids club that Josiah can be a part of to vent to about the struggle when you have to live a life with responsibility when you should only be concerned about yourself. Wow. 
Jeremiah had never seen another boy prophet before. There was no uh, prophet's club that, that Jeremiah could go to and say, hey, when a king has an arrow on your back because he doesn't like the fact that you preach about God, what do you do? And the Bible is full of people, full of women who did not have other women leaders to reach out to to understand, full of young kids who didn't have the opportunity to see somebody be a kid and serve God, full of people who had to forsake their families who had never seen anybody do that before, full of people who had to lead armies, full of people like Joshua who was raised in the situation but doesn't know how to lead people. He's not as experienced as Moses. He hadn't been rocking with them as long as Moses and he hasn't seen the miracles that Moses has seen but now he's supposed to pick up where Moses took off. The Bible is full of people just like you and me who received this grandiose call from God, but no setup on how to do it, no setup on where the resources were going to come from, and no setup on how God expected you to accomplish it. And the kid preaching before you today is so adamant about this because that's my greatest struggle right now. I'm 23 in this age of expectation. When people have seen you preach your entire life and watched you do well in pretty much everything you did, and then you go to school like USC and they just expect that to like quadruple your success potential or whatever that means. And then people are waiting for the big announcement. Like we just, they say stuff like, we just knew you was gonna be something. Then you have to balance the pressure of people's expectations with the difficulty of knowing that everything I feel called to be, I've never really seen it done. I've never seen anybody date and be in ministry. I haven't seen too many people who are born in one denomination but can make a home at any denomination. I feel just as at home here as I do at my Kojic friends. And the same with my Methodist friends and the same with my non-denominational friends. I can shout and I can do CCM. I can, I, I can sing uh, 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 down at the cross um, and I can rock to you're a good, good father. And I haven't seen too many people who make a home in both and pursue in what that looks like leadership wise. Because sometimes people can only receive you when you rock the way they rock. Struggling because I'm Christian to my core. Like, you know, slap in the face, shout, like, you know, knock your neighbor's wig off type, Christian churchy type. That's me. I'll never stop being that. But I also went to college and I became aware, or the, to the, the quote that we might more use that's become a little more popular is woke. I don't like that word, but it is what it is. And so now I'm trying to figure out who do I look to for blueprints of people who were saved and woke. Because sometimes my wokeness is at odds with the churchy Princeton. And then at other times, my church looks at my wokeness and say, uh-uh, you're missing something. So I never feel completely at home in either group. I'm sitting at church going, y'all missing this. And then I go hang out with my woke friends and it's good for a minute and I'm like, y'all are missing this. And there's no blueprint for how to be both. There's no blueprint for adulting. I feel really good, y'all. I just um, scheduled my own doctor's appointment for the first time with someone who's not a pediatrician. Clap for me. Hallelujah. God is able. Um, <laughs> with no blueprint. My time is running away, so let me give you something substantive so I can let you go. This is the place where we find our brother Amos in, in Amos chapter 7. I love the scripture because the way that Amos presents himself is that he is in the middle of a prophecy and he has to help the people understand how he became who he is. He's like, yeah, um, you see me like this prophesying to you, but let me help you understand the this that was a part of my life that helped make me who I am. And Amos says something interesting. Now, before we get to what Amos says, it's important to know um, the background of Amos. Now, Amos's name means burden or burden barrier. Everybody say burden. His name means burden or burden bearer. I've come to tell you uh, that the thing that will make you great in life will at most times feel like a burden. 
if you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. The thing that will make you great in life, most of the time, will feel like a burden. Amos' name means burden. He is a prophet. He is one of the few voices that God will use in the time when God is not just displeased with Israel, God's mad at Israel. Because at this point in their history, God has led them through a whole bunch of mess and they keep turning away. And God's like, at this point, at this point, it's disrespect. At this point, it's not your flesh. It's not the fact that you're human or that stuff is so much fun. No, this is disrespect because we've been through this too many times. And Amos has to carry the burden of being that voice in a time when nobody wants to hear it. So Amos's first burden is that he has to have the burden of what God called him to say. Amos has never been a preacher before, and the message that God calls him to preach is that God is mad at y'all. <laughs> he doesn't get to preach a let's shout and run and dance message. Amos doesn't get to be, and no shade to the show, but Amos doesn't get to be on a reality show. Amos doesn't get to be on BET. He doesn't get to call to get called to CNN to talk about his purpose-driven life. Like many of the things that we have, that we do as ministers today, Amos didn't get that privilege. He had to come out and convict people and tell them that the lifestyle that you're living, God's not pleased with. And that's the burden that Amos has to carry. The second burden that Amos has to carry is he has to carry the burden of living out the fact that he's different. Because the moment God calls you to represent something, he then calls you to be the example of what you represent. And see, that's the trippy part. Everybody want to be famous, but don't nobody want to be an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, whatever power you have, you have seven times more responsibility. Whatever privilege you had, you have seven times more responsibility. So everybody want to have money, but don't nobody want to be ethical about how they have that money. Everybody want to be a preacher, but nobody wants to be responsible for what it looks like when your whole life has to be an example. See, see, everybody wants to be up here on the pulpit because that looks cool, that you get to travel places and do stuff, but nobody wants to make decisions that you can't go certain places that you should have the religious freedom to go to, but because you're an example, everybody, see, nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to go in early when everybody else is staying out, and nobody wants to be in that position where everything that God has called you to is not bougie, it's a burden he has the burden of living out his difference don't ask God for something you're not ready to represent don't mess with God and receive his anointing and then put off the responsibility by trying to be an average Christian because that's what we do. I don't want them to judge me. They're not judging you. They're holding you accountable because you signed up to do this. I don't mess with it. I'm just a Christian person too. Yeah, you are, but you have a greater standard because of the greater anointing that's on your life. And I validate the fact that it's unfair, but it is what it is. And Amos has that burden. Last but not least, he has the burden of building without a blueprint. Because in Amos chapter seven in our text today, Amos says, listen y'all, I ain't prophesying because I just am excited about telling y'all God's mad at you. He says, if the truth be told, I would still be in the farm somewhere, herding sheep and raising trees. And he says, I was out there doing my sheep thing and raising trees and God all of a sudden said unto me, Amos. That's as deep as my voice gets. That's really sad. Uh, <laughs> I need that movie guy who's always like, in a world. <laughs> like, I need him to help me preach. He says, God says unto him, Amos, the Lord said unto me, go prophesy. Hold up. Um, God, uh, sir, your holiness dude, uh, you do realize <laughs> that um, ain't nobody in my family ever been a prophet. And I ain't never been to prophet's school. And the Lord said unto him, go prophesy. You got to understand how trippy this is. God doesn't say, get ready to prophesy. God doesn't say, your eventual destination is that you'll arrive at prophecy. God says, Amos, 
Get up now, go. What is that? And Amos says, I had nobody to do that. I have a question for you before I go on. Has God ever messed up your flow? I'm not talking to the super sage people in the room that everything God's ever asked you to do, you're just like, yes, God, I've been waiting on this opportunity to serve you more. What can I do for you today? Holy Spirit, let's go. I will gladly break up with him. I didn't even want to be with him anyway. He is trash, Lord. Thank you for telling me to leave him. He is trash, Lord. I just bless you. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, for telling me to put down this drink. It wasn't good anyway, Lord. I don't even know why I ordered it. It's just so many calories and just this strawberry watermelon goodness. I didn't even want it anyway, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Has God ever messed up your flow? <laughs> You're on your own tip. Like life was good. And even if it was bad, you convinced yourself that it was good. So, <laughs> and God has this weird way of swooping in and uh, messing everything up. Amos grew up and he had no formal training and he did not have any history in his family. Amos is like many of us. He says, I've, I've never been to school for that. And I've never seen it in my family. And now Amos has to live about following the command of God with no blueprint. Family, I got to stop it there. I'm not out of word, but I am out of time. <laughs> I've always wanted to say that. All the preachers who I watch on TV, that's what they say at the end of their shows. So um, I've always wanted to say that. And now I can say that I said it on my show. <laughs> But on the real, stopping it right there because part two is coming next week. I hope you've enjoyed it this far. I hope that it has blessed you, encouraged you, caused you to think a little bit. And if it has, don't be stingy with it. Share this with somebody. Send it to somebody who you know is on their journey of unpacking what it feels like to build without a blueprint. Let them know that they are not alone. So excited that you tuned in this week. Just three things before we go. First of all, you can subscribe and rate us on iTunes and help other people know about what we're doing here at the show. Two, if you have any questions, feedback about the show, maybe this blessed you and you want to share it with us, you can email me at buildingwithprinceton at gmail.com. That's buildingwithprinceton at gmail.com. Love the name of the email. Shout out to Corinne for coming up with that. Uh, buildingwithprinceton at gmail.com. Also, if you just want to follow me and keep up with what's going on, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Princeton Parker, or you can just log on to PrincetonParker.com. Number three, y'all, thank you. It really means a lot to me that you tuned in to hear this, and I can't wait to share the rest of the sermon with you next week as we wrap up the sermon titled Building Without a Blueprint. Well, as always, family, it's only one way to close with God as your foundation and purpose as your motivation. Keep building.